Hi, welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of the Pictures Out There podcast series with Lee Stewart and Dave Fogelman. Today, Lee and Dave are back to their periodic topic, caring about the future. In this podcast, they'll explore some more of the essays from the 2020 book, Aftershock. They'll discuss some of the ideas presented by those thought leaders. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, for that very kind introduction. This is Dave. And I am Lee. Hello, everyone. We are back to our periodic caring about the future topic in this podcast and a discussion of some of the essays from the 2020 book titled Aftershock, which we highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Today, we will talk about a few of the essays from Aftershock and note some of their key themes and how those themes intersect and connect to some of the pictures out there concepts. We'll also provide our own thoughts and reactions to these themes. So when needing to abbreviate one of the essayist quotes, we've tried to be very careful to do that in the context of taking care not to change the meaning of the essayist's point. So let's get started. All righty. So our first essay out of the gate is from Eric Daimler and David Spivak, and it's called Pattern Channeling. Eric worked as an authority on AI and robotics in the Obama administration, and David works in the mathematics department at MIT. So here's a quote from Pattern Channeling. Think about how your DNA compresses your ancestral history, the techniques for overcoming challenges faced, and how it transfers this history into the future. The same idea works for your eating habits, the way you perform your daily work, the way you play. You have patterns that take into account the past, and you act out those patterns in the present to produce a future where those patterns can propagate. You are what you feed. Okay, the instant reaction that I had to this concept in it's a new thought to me. Yes. I had never thought about yes. the degree to which with DNA, you think about all sorts of things getting passed on, but you have patterns based on history. And I always think of the fact of, you know, looking at the future, we have so much to overcome. And one of the things we have to overcome is our history. Yes. And then I read this quote and I go, oh my gosh, that, that's like another giant hurdle that we have all of these patterns that have in the past kept our ancestors safe Mm -hmm. or feeling secure, away from things that they fear. So some goodness there. Yeah, these are survival benefits. They're survival benefits, but they amplify, again, this this challenge we have to really redefine and reimagine our future. Yes, right. So my initial reaction to this quotation from Pattern Channeling was, each of us carries our own archaeological record within us. And obviously it has many benefits because it teaches us in present day how to survive and be safe and flourish as well. But again, as you stated very well, it's almost as if we're carrying century or millennia of history strapped to our shoulders to carry into the future. And some of that history we need to overcome because it does not serve us well. Right. And we just have had a podcast that talked about a new picture for education. Mm -hmm. And so you think about 
a person being born mm-hmm. and they have these patterns. Yes. And then you get into an approach to education in childhood that isn't, in our minds, adequately preparing young people who will be emerging adults to really reimagine yes. the future, their mm-hmm. future, and the future of, of society. There's a lot to overcome here. Yeah. So our picture of education, if you will, is going to have people unlearn what's in their DNA. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, so so this is one of a couple of times today where, if you're like us, you may look at the quote and kind of go, gee, you're really presenting a thing that has two sides to it. There's two sides of this coin, and there is a goodness to it, yes. what, you, what, what you might kind of label a goodness, mm-hmm. and there's something that can really hold us back. Yes. And the challenge gets to be not necessarily labeling these things either good or bad. There's a temptation just to do that and say it's good or bad. That's really, we think, missing the point. The point is how we respond to it and the choices we make about that. So the fact that you have in our DNA what are really these survival patterns mm-hmm. that keep reemerging, we kind of go, gee, if you can manage that, there's a lot of goodness in that if you can not let it hinder you from really imagining a different future for yes. yourself and for the species. Yeah, we can't let it become an anchor. So let's turn our attention to the next quotation from Aftershock. This from a woman named Andra K. Her essay titled, From Reference Man to Reference Many. Andra is the managing director of Silicon Valley Robotics. It's a nonprofit industry Mm. group supporting robotics technologies. Hmm. And she writes, We are now in the era of big data and the quantified self. We are tracking all of our measurements in exacting detail. Society-changing decisions are already being made on the strength of our new modes of data collection and analysis, on deep learning, and other algorithmic tools. Right now, deep learning is leading to algorithmic bias on top of human bias, Hmm. creating a feedback loop that continues the process. Then we embody that bias in our robots or smart devices, and that amplifies the effect. Technology is never neutral. In our technologically mediated society, our individuality is only valuable when it is connected. It is our responsibility to ensure that our ecosystem has sufficient diversity to remain healthy. My hope is that the value of our diversity will at last finally be solved. End of the essay. My gosh, there's so much to talk about from this quote. Again, this notion of there's two sides or two ways that this can go. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like what Andra is talking about is, for one thing, our individuality, our beautiful individuality, can be amplified in a wonderful new way. Yes. There's also the potential for it to be controlled. Yes. And manipulated manipulated or even submerged Mm -hmm. with algorithms and with the way that data is being managed today. So again, kind of two sides of of a coin there. Deep learning is leading to algorithmic bias, and you put that on top of already existing human bias. So there's a multiplier effect there. An amplification. Yeah, something that we've got to be very, very sensitive to, alert to, or... As you've stated so well, it can go bad. There are many, many good things about what she's stating here. 
there's a potential downside. Yeah, there's all sorts of, of cliches in the in the popular culture and has been for decades of I, I'm a cog in the system. Right. A, yeah. And I think what this describes is with this amplification of individuality that can happen here, there's a real goodness of Yes. No, your individuality can stay very vibrant and alive and be amplified in a beautiful way. I love then the connection she makes to connection. Yes. To that, that individuality without connection is a problem. It, it doesn't get you anywhere. It really has no worth. It makes me think of the pictures out there ideal that we've talked about of we're the same and we're unique. It's yes. exactly what we've described with that ideal. Yes, perfect. Which is lifting up your unique individuality, but then seeing your connection to all humanity. Absolutely. And so uh, her it, point... It's not binary. It's not one nor the other. No, no. And so there is, again, in that notion of are you more connected or not, there is the two sides. You know, we can be more connected to others, believe we are understood in a beautiful new way, mm-hmm. connect. Or we can be more isolated. We can believe we are not understood. This yes. amplification of our individuality can go south mm-hmm. in the sense of leaving us feeling isolated. So not a good or bad thing. It's a change that's happening. It's a very profound observation. So I'm just going to reread one sentence because for me, this is where our cultural societal obligation rests. It's our responsibility to ensure our ecosystem has sufficient mm-hmm. diversity to remain healthy. Yeah. So if we do become cogs, yeah, that's not going to go well for anyone. And she's saying it's our obligation to do what we can to maintain our individuality. Hopefully with, with all of these trends, if I'm part of that and I go, my gosh, I feel like my individuality has expression and value in a wonderful new way. Hopefully I'm not just stopping there and I'm going, Gee, everybody else must have the same potential. I need to go connect and find out Mm -hmm. their story, Mm -hmm. find out what their individuality is. And hopefully it's it's a push toward that as opposed to wallowing in my individuality. Yeah, that's good. Right. So a big key, just like the first one we talked about, how will we manage this? How will we manage this tomorrow? That really ends up being the key thing. Yes. Okay, our next one is from... Rebecca Costa. It's called Forward. Rebecca is an award-winning sociobiologist and futurist. Here's a short excerpt from her essay. Sometimes the future is obvious, but there are also times when an innovation doesn't lay out so neatly. Are there predictions on which futurists today agree? The answer is yes. Futurists are in greater alignment about the next one or two decades than they are further out on the timeline. Here are a few short-term predictions on which leading futurists tend to agree. The construction industry is likely to experience tremendous disruption in the next decade. Large printers are already constructing permanent 800-square-foot residences in China at an astounding cost of less than 4000 per home. That's an example of that that Rebecca provides. Yes, he said large printers. Printers, 3D printers. Okay, back to Rebecca. Healthcare is undergoing similar disruption. Testing and therapies will soon be managed by nanobots, robots smaller than a human cell. Nanomedicine will also put an end to the pharmaceutical industry. It will revolutionize agriculture. 
pesticides will no longer be used. Nanobots will be better equipped to perform these functions. In the financial industry, as instantaneous bio-identification makes it possible to securely charge each individual's account, there will be no further need for credit cards. In terms of automation, the latest research indicates that 30 to 50 percent of the jobs currently performed by humans are at risk of being performed by robots by 2030. These are some of the changes futurists expect to see in the coming decades. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a a couple of things, uh, Lee, that popped out to me about this beyond just the the wow factor with each one of these things and imagining it and visualizing it. And she says in the next decade or two, okay, if it's next two or three, next three or four, it's still an incredible wow factor. Yes. That any of these things would be happening. Yes. The the piece of it that was that popped into my head as I was listening to it is more of an opportunity for everyone to have equal home, equal health care, equal standing in the financial industry. These things to me, kind of the notion of equality, mm-hmm. which we've also talked about in prior podcasts, came up and it's kind of like there is and, and we'll have a quote later on that kind of speaks to equivalence. There are some interesting trends here that really equalize or democratize some very, very important things in our life. And so I, again, kind of imagine the choice question. What do we go do with that? Mm -hmm. Will we embrace that? Will we love that, that people are more equal? Or will there be some faction of us that's going, oh, I don't like that we're all more equal and I need to find an advantage? Right. I hope not. Yeah. A recurring theme, right? So as you stated, there's a great leveling effect that could occur from these advances in technology, right? And I think you and I would argue that's great because it will lead to greater equitability. Mm -hmm. But the centuries-old, millennia-old theme of, wait a minute, my advantage is being taken away. I need to compete. I need to figure out a way to come out on top and all of the themes that we've explored in the past. But can you imagine if worldwide everyone had access to affordable housing, worldwide everyone had access to state-of-the-art health care? Right. Yeah. What if we stopped poisoning the natural environment with things like pesticides? Because there's going to be, I'm going to say that with conviction, there's going to be a better way through technology rather than spraying poisons on crops. Whenever you talk about futurist projections, they can easily come with fear. Oh my God. But I always try to stop and think, listen, if you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, wherever you are in your life, just reflect on the amount of change you've experienced in your time, right? Okay. So it's nothing to be fearful of because we've already experienced very, very disruptive change in our time. Our ability to adapt, we always underestimate. We do. As we've talked about before. Yeah. The, The piece here where you have the change of vocations that they talk about this last piece, 30 to 50% of the jobs being performed are at risk of being performed by robots. And I think uh, I'm going to assume in this when we use the term robots, lots of times we will imagine the clunky robots from science fiction movies or something like that. I think what we're talking about here is advanced intelligence, artificial intelligence. Yes. So a robot can be something physical. It can be, again, algorithms yeah, it, that, that perform software, work, software, hardware that performs work. 
And that one too, it's like, have, have we really prepared for that? And if we do we have some notion of what those vocations are that are likely to go away, that seems to me to be something that's pretty doable. Mm-hmm. You have young people that are preparing in their mind for a career as it looks today, and you have this knowledge that it ain't going to look that way. Yeah, it's, it's just not. And what the implications are for the preparation that you're doing now for mm-hmm. a career, mm-hmm. gee, wouldn't that be good to know? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be good to feed in some fashion into our education system? Absolutely. And we really don't do that. Yeah, right. Again, this is where teaching critical thinking right. and conflict management skills and some of the other concepts that we've talked about come in. Because teaching technical knowledge is always going to have value, but the obsoleting of that technical knowledge is rapidly accelerating. So let's direct our attention to the next essay, this one by Ray Kurzweil. The title of the essay is On Living in a Future Where Non-Biological Intelligence Grows Indefinitely Against Fixed Human Intelligence. I'm going to read that again. Hmm. On living in a future where non-biological intelligence grows indefinitely against fixed human intelligence. Well, Ray is one of the world's leading inventors, thinkers, and futurists. He's an award winner in a number of fields, a best-selling author, and he is co-founder of Singularity University. His essay states, Well within this decade, AI will do everything that any human can do only much better. It is important to understand that technology is used to go beyond human capabilities. Our biological intelligence is more or less fixed, whereas our non-biological intelligence will continue to grow indefinitely. This is one of those concepts that for some people, they are terrified by this notion. For some other people, it's like, hallelujah. Yes. And then kind of every reaction in between. One question that certainly pops up is when we're thinking of what Lee and I will call advanced intelligence, AI, is it intelligence? Mm -hmm. We certainly have a category or categories where we will describe humans as being intelligent because of our thought processes or other gifts or talents. Is AI intelligent? Mm -hmm. I would say it is. Yes. He certainly, in the essay, Ray is certainly saying it is. That's what's the difference? Right. What's the, the difference in, in what they're doing? In, in what we think we're doing as And humans. what we think we're doing. Yes. At the point in time that you, you start using words like intelligence, in my mind, I kind of go, we need to ask ourselves the question, is AI smarter than us? It certainly has the potential to be. I love using the words intelligent or smart to force us to deal directly with that question. Mm-hmm. You're not giving anything up. You're not becoming less valuable because there is now this really what you might call a new life form yes. that is smarter than us. That does not diminish our gifts and talents. Right. Okay, it's, it's an advantage. It's a wonderful thing. Yes. And certainly the opportunities we've described here for global productivity, for human productivity, productivity. to be exponentially increased by this. And Lee, you just said, talked about you know the changes of the last 30 or 40 years. We've already seen this, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let me speak to the fear factor that goes along with this again. Let me call our collective attention back to a line from Ray's uh, essay here. We've always used technology to go beyond human capabilities. When I was thinking about this, 
guess why we domesticated horses? Yeah. Because they could pull heavier loads than we could, because we could ride on their backs and travel distances and faster than we could on foot, right? Well, we don't fear that now. Right, right. <laughs> why should we fear whatever the next iteration of technology is that can carry us beyond our own capacity? What seems to be the rub, is this a life form or not? Yes, yeah, that's what's new. That's what's new and what's challenging to us to where we now, here in 2023, we have the voice that talks back to us on our phones or in our homes. Yes. That we engage with. Yeah. That do things for us. Mm-hmm. They have voices and they have names. And we can joke with them. And we can joke with them. There's this question of how much we want to humanize them. Right. And that question really is about do we view you as some type of life form Mm -hmm. or not. I'm inclined to say, well, why not? Right. Why wouldn't we? And how can I enlist that life form as a partner in what it is I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah. 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 Rather than an enemy or as an obstacle, or even less, not even as a tool, but as a partner. Yeah. So my wife and I were on a long distance drive a few months ago. And of course, we had the onboard GPS voice. And for several hours each day, we were having a, we developed a right. loving relationship right. with that AI. Right. And we considered that voice a partner in our journey. I always thank AI for something that they've done for me when it's one of those relationships as you're describing. They say you're welcome back in some form. Yes. That's corresponding. Right? Yeah. So I would encourage, dear listener, think of these things as willing partners. And we're not going to lose something because of their existence. Yeah, we're not being d- devalued. In any way by this, we're actually being lifted up through that relationship that we have. All right, let's move along here. Bill Davidow is our next essayist, and he has an essay called Social Phase Change, Powering Future Shock. Bill is a high-tech industry executive, and he's a venture investor. So let's read his essay here, excerpts from it. The first phase change produced the agricultural civilization. The second produce the industrial civilization. We are now well on our way to creating the autonomous civilization. Phase changes in the social world are driven by equivalences, I might add, new equivalences. The agricultural civilization was created by a food equivalence. And think of it, I'm injecting here, think of an equivalence as Something that happens that makes something equal for everyone. That's what he's talking about. So you have an agricultural civilization that puts people much more on an equal footing for getting food. Yes. So that's what that term, I believe, is what he's alluding to. I'll repeat. The agricultural civilization was created by a food equivalence and the industrial civilization by a power equivalence. Steam, electrical, and internal combustion substituted for muscle power. Three equivalences, three now, are driving the transition to the autonomous civilization. They are intangible equivalences as opposed to physical ones. The three equivalences are, one, intelligence equivalence. Smart devices substitute for people, I might add, much like what we just talked about with AI. Yes. Number two, spatial equivalence. Large portions of people's lives move into virtual space, which has a equality or equivalence to it. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, as mm-hmm. we were, I'm, we're injecting here into the quote, but as we just talked about, some 
equality that's happening with housing. Mm-hmm. Even the physical space, he's talking about the virtual space here, but even the physical space is happening, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Then number three, information equivalence. I believe we've all experienced what's been happening with that the last couple of decades. Okay, back to his quote. The key to benefiting from the new rules, developing new tools, and freeing ourselves from intuitive reactions based on past experience that will take us in the wrong direction is if we are willing to confront the hard issues, then we will be able to enjoy the miracles of phase change. The miracles. The miracles. Of phase change. Yeah. Yes. So he sees it clearly, the two sides of the coin, all of this he sees as opportunity. Yeah. So there's so much in here that is very, very difficult for us to get our minds around. Right. Okay. Including, think about the proportion of our lives. Currently, we are living in a virtual space. Mm -hmm. Here's an easy, ready example. Cloud computing. Yep. You know, I have several thousand photographs of my family members on my iPhone, but it doesn't rest on that device. It's in a cloud, right? Right. And I pay 99 cents monthly right. <laughs> right. to maintain that cloud. Mm-hmm. Think of that. Even 20 years ago, those thousands of photographs would have taken up numerous physical books that you put on a shelf and got out and looked at every now and again. That's just a very easy, simplistic example of living in virtual space. Have you ever gone into a Home Depot and thought, you know, we're thinking about remodeling our bathroom. Well, you can go to a kiosk and put in some information and see your bathroom and how it would look with the quartz countertop versus the other countertop. Mm -hmm. Again, an example of virtual space. Mm -hmm. These examples are all around us. We just don't think of them in these terms. It's fascinating that each of these seems to be driving toward equality. You kind of see this momentum that the world creates, Mm -hmm. that evolution creates, that change creates, that says equality is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And as there is something that happens and there's an advantage that people find in that sometimes to create uh, inequity in the human society, yes. the world comes along with this thing that democratizes yeah. or makes things equal or gives that opportunity. And so again, we ask the question, that's a, a great thing. Who's going to try to screw that up? Who's going to try to make it something that's an advantage to a few? Mm-hmm. And so that's on us to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Let's revisit Bill's final statement here. We will be able to enjoy the miracles of phase change. We, it's on all of us to operationalize this, all of its benefits. Amidst that move toward equality that happens, isn't there an opportunity for more diversity? Mm-hmm. And it just seems like the, the world, in addition to making things more equal, also is saying, here's individuality. Here's where you can more easily lift up yourself and your unique self, yes. your diverse self. And so that seems to be a theme also here and with some of the other things that we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So next essay is written by Clee Irwin. That's K-L-E-E, Clee Irwin. The title of the essay is Spiritualism, the Technological Endgame. Clee is the director of Quantum Gravity Research and an associate founder of Singularity University. He states, Evolutionary biology tends to snuff out animals that get too much smarter or faster than, or in some otherwise superior to, other species. Its objective is not to develop high consciousness, but to create complexity 
and self-organize more species for greater biodiversity and balance. Human intelligence is far out of balance with, or stronger than, the rest of the 100 million species on Earth. When such imbalance occurs, biospheres eliminate that species by letting things play out. Humans have outsmarted nature in a catch-me-if-you-can game so far. Will we expand our consciousness off-planet in mass before the biosphere balances itself by eliminating us? At this unprecedented epoch in the history of life on Earth, an animal has emerged against the odds. With a bit more technology, it will be capable of sterilizing all life on Earth. As for our long-term future, it is bewildering enough to recognize how imminent and radical the change to our short-term future is. Whatever the long-term outcome, it will also be here fast if it is needed on an exponential curve. Can you say wow? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a lot to react to here in a fearful way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But let's look at both sides of this. If you want to think of the Earth as the agent in this Mm -hmm. and looking at the human species and going, ah, what do we do? And maybe even to the point, as he's talking about, of actively fighting us. Mm -hmm. And we can look at some things that are going on in our present day, future audience, like climate change. Mm -hmm. And certainly there is a narrative about this is the Earth fighting back. Or this is the Earth protecting itself Correct. against the human species. Yes. If anything like that is going on, or if it's even happenstance, what is the Earth's intent? And the Earth, the biosphere's intent, is diversity. It is. And balance. And balance. Yes. And you have to stop there for a second, we think, and go, well, isn't that a great intent? Yes. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that what we would hope for? It is as if the planet is telling us, you are welcome here as long as you play nice with others. Yes. Okay? And I don't mean that in a trivial way. Somebody's knocking on our door and going, hello. Yes. Right. Are are you paying attention here? You're you're out of balance here. You're out of balance here. In other words, hey, the earth is saying, buddy, you're out of line here. Okay? Let's get back in sync with the rest of the 100 million species on the earth. Yeah. 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 And so in this quote and in each of the quotes and the concepts that they address, there really are a lot of human choices, society choices for us to make that will take us down different paths depending on that choice. These changes won't determine our future, we believe. Yes. In and of themselves, they're not going to determine our future. Yes. But what we do with them and the other changes that happen will. Absolutely. Yeah. How we respond to these gigantic forces. Right. Okay, we're going to go now to that segment of the podcast where we talk to future generations. Hey, guys. Hey How all. you doing out there? How's everything going? <laughs> we, we always hope that this folksy, folksy little uh, voice that we take with you guys is appreciated. But we are sure that you still have a sense of humor. <laughs> you know, if, if, our, if our species and the other life forms have survived, we sure you, we're sure you have some sense of humor and know that, that our joking around is all in love. You know, Correct. So, so here's how we expect you did it, future generations. And here's what we suspect you had to overcome. Uh, We imagine, as as we've talked about, all of these trends that these essayists have identified, 
We imagine, first of all, that as these things happened, you all embrace change. Mm -hmm. You try to get in front of it. And those are changes that are going to happen because of the world you live in, Mm -hmm. okay, that are kind of not in your control. It's evolution. It's change that happens. And then there's change that you drive. Mm -hmm. And we believe that you all are great about embracing those changes that are naturally happening, that are the next step of, of your society or the world you live in. And you figure out how to coordinate, collaborate with those changes through your responses and actions you take. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that the future detected, discerned a theme in these collection of essays that we share with you today. And that theme, in my words, is partnership, side by side. How can we best live side by side in partnership with a new intelligence with the 100 million other species that inhabit the planet and all of the things that we've talked about. Partnership may be a new equivalence. And I would say, Lee, I'm going to take your word partnership, which I completely agree in the future. You all understand the value of the word and always thinking of it. And just outside that word partnership are the two bookends of preciousness of individuality. Mm Mm-hmm. And looking for, in every situation, how these changes can lift up the individual and lift up equality. And on the other side of partnership is connection. Yes. And how we understand and see that we're all connected. And and lifting up the individual and lifting up our connections then is that foundation for partnership. And so we think you guys get that. And you do it by habit. And you have your education system set up to where people at young ages understand how that works and are ready to embrace it. So why didn't we here in the year 2023 figure this out long before, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why was it harder for us to overcome some of these dynamics? Recurring theme, fear, competitiveness, Mm -hmm. elements in our world that need to hold themselves above others. We think that you have throughout this podcast series, as we've enumerated and articulated some of those common conditions, you figured your way through those. You figured your way around those. You have an abundance mindset rather than a competitive mindset. And I would think the other thing that that we would explain to you all is our world is much bigger than it probably your world is. And what I mean by that is, particularly in our past, it was very easy for people to describe the enemy, the unknown the people on the other side of the hill Yes. when our world was big. Even in our lifetime, the world has got, gotten much smaller, mm-hmm. thankfully, I would say, yes. to where we understand the rest of the people that are occupying the globe. And it's much harder to demonize other people, to vilify other people. We know each other. We're human. We're all connected. And so I think we are still working through that. Yes. You know, and we're not there yet. But we are working through it, and I think are on a positive path. So let's close by asking these questions. What are your pictures? What are your perspectives? What are your ideals? And finally, what is your influence to use? Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about pictures out there at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.